Hello and welcome, friends, family, and enemies alike, to episode 7 of Reading Cadence. My name is Phil Olson, and today we conclude the second chapter of Alice's Adventures in Wonderland, entitled The Pool of Tears. When we last left our heroine, she had accidentally fallen into a pool of her own literal tears. And I ask you to ruminate upon this question. Can Alice survive a swim in her own tears? Well, let us explore this. I have done my due diligence of research into this, as I realized last week some of my resources could be a little bit misleading or lacking. So I'm going to start out strong with reference to the Cleveland Eye Clinic. This is a very prominent and well-respected eye clinic in the United States. And in this resource, they break down a brief summary of the three types of tears a human can cry throughout or produce or generate throughout their lifetime. So the first type of tear is just simply your basal tear. This is the type of tear that will coat the eye and supply nutrients to it. So the way I understand it, this tear is essentially like constantly like hydrating your eye normally so that you'll have the ability to see um, and not have, and like when you blink, you know, like the basal tear like keeps on replenishing your uh, hydration in your eyes so that you can see other people fine and you're, you know, you're all peachy keen. You can see the people in front of you. Uh, the second type of tear would be known as a reflex tear. Uh, this tear is made mostly of water and it's produced in response to a stimulus. So, for instance, you begin cutting an onion and then stop to scratch that itch in your eye. That itch is that reflexive tear building up in response to the onion fumes. Or it could be because someone dared you to trust them, so you unblinkingly stare down the barrel of a marshmallow gun. But I digress. The third type of tear, and the one that Alice has been experiencing over her little time underground, is the emotional tear. It's produced as a way to relieve stress, and it also produces endorphins. So actually, stress crying can help make you feel better because of the endorphins that are produced because of it. And as far as we know it, only humans can produce these kinds of tears. So with this knowledge, we can safely assume that Alice is indeed human. So imagine for an emotional tear that is cried, you went from a, you know, a little smaller than a watermelon to the size of a nine-foot-tall behemoth, back down to the size of an exceptional pumpkin, after once again forgetting to punch out the door that was inhibiting you from experiencing your nirvana in a magical garden? <sighs> well, I digress. That is, of course what Alice is experiencing at this moment. But I kept on exploring this further, and I wanted to give you a diversity of resources so that you could fully understand the composition of one's tier. 
Um, and within each of these tiers, the basal, the emotional, and the reflexive tier, we have the tiers broken up into three distinct layers. The first layer is known as the mucus layer. This is the sticky part of the tears that ke helps keep it attached to the eye. So, for example, if you ever get that crusty stuff in your eyes after sleeping for a long time or sleeping with your eye irritated, that's a result of your mucus layer evaporating. It's not good, as I learned from my recent trip to the eye doctor, to have such a thing stay in your eye for prolonged periods of time, for it can cause a few problems long-term. But in application to what Alice is experiencing, if Alice were to remain treading water in her tears for too long, she would get a lot of eye mucus stuck on her, and that would make her rather irritating. See what I did there? To other people. So, that is the first layer of the tear, the mucus layer. The second layer that we see is the aqueous layer. The aqueous layer is a very thick layer that prevents your eye from drying out and adds a layer of protection to your eyes in relation to bacteria, as well as keeping your cornea safe. So, your aqueous tear game is strong if you're able to win an eye staring contest. All that eye hydration keeps you competing at a high level. I wish I had a sponsor to, to uh, further bolster this point, but I don't, which is a good thing. But anyway, uh, let's go to the third layer. The third layer is an oily layer. This is the layer that provides a smooth surface um, in your tears so that you can actually see through your tears. And it is also an evaporation deterrent along with your aqueous layer. So those are both really helpful as well as the aqueous layer for, will be to Alice's advantage in keeping her hydrated and preserved well from any incoming projectiles from above. So the aqueous layer, number one, is to her advantage and I think will help her greatly in this instance. But the third layer, the oily layer, is useful for Alice if she accidentally dropped something like, I don't know, a key in it. She could see under tear, as it were, and snag it back for safekeeping. However, Alice did not lose her key in her tears, unfortunately, so this is probably not an advantage for her at this point in time. But I believe we will see throughout all of this research that the aqueous layer is probably Alice's best chance for survival, as it will keep her hydrated and preserved quite well and protect her. So uh, let's continue reading chapter two, The Pool of Tears, with this useful knowledge that I have now armed you with. Oh, I wish I hadn't cried so much said Alice as she swam about, trying to find her way out. I shall be punished for it now, I suppose, by being drowned in my own tears. That will be a queer thing, to be sure. However, everything is queer today. Just then, she heard something splashing about in the pool a little way off, and she swam nearer to make out what it was. At first, she thought it must be a walrus or a hippopotamus, 
But then she remembered how small she was now, and she soon made out that it was only a mouse that had slipped in like herself. Would it be of any use now, thought Alice, to speak to this mouse? Everything is so out of the way down here that I should think very likely it can talk. At any rate, there's no harm in trying. So she began. Oh, mouse, do you know where the way out of this pool? I'm very tired of swimming about here, oh, mouse. Alice thought this must be the right way of speaking to a mouse. She had never done such a thing before, but she remembered having seen in her brother's Latin grammar, a mouse, of a mouse, to a mouse, a mouse, oh, mouse. The mouse looked at her rather inquisitively and seemed to her to wink with one of its little eyes, but it said nothing. Perhaps it doesn't understand English, thought Alice. I dare say it's a French mouse. Come over with William the Conqueror. For with all her knowledge of history, Alice had no very clear notion how long ago anything had happened. So she began again. Oué, mochette. Which was the very first sentence in her French lesson book. The mouse gave a sudden leap out of the water, and it seemed to quiver all over with fright. Oh, oh, I beg your pardon, cried Alice hastily, afraid that she had hurt the poor animal's feelings. I quite forgot you didn't like cats. Not like cats, cried the mouse in a shrill, passionate voice. Would you like cats if you were me? Well, perhaps not, said Alice in a soothing tone. Don't be angry about it. And yet, I wish I could show you our cat Dinah. I think you'd take a fancy to cats if you could only see her. She is such a dear, quiet thing. Alice went on half to herself as she swam lazily about in the pool. And she sits purring so nicely by the fire, licking her paws and washing her face. And she is such a nice, soft thing to nurse. And she's such a capital one for catching mice and... Oh, I beg your pardon, cried Alice again. For this time, the mouse was bristling all over and she felt it certain it must be rather offended. We won't talk about her any more, if you'd rather not. We indeed, cried the mouse, who was trembling down to the end of its tail, as if I would touch on, talk on such a subject. Our family always hated cats. Nasty, low, vulgar things. Don't let me hear the name again. I won't indeed said Alice in a great hurry to change the subject of conversation. Are you... are you fond of... Uh, dogs? The mouse did not answer, so Alice went on eagerly. There's such a nice little dog near our house. I should like to show you. A little bright-eyed terrier, you know, uh, with, oh, such long, curly brown hair. And it'll fetch things when you throw them. And it'll sit up and beg for its dinner and all sorts of things. I can't remember half of them. And it belongs to a farmer, you know. And he says it's so useful, it's worth a hundred pounds. He says it kills all the rats and... Oh, dear, cried Alice in a sorrowful tone. I'm afraid I've offended it again. 
for the mouse was swimming away from her as hard as it could go and making quite a commotion in the pool as it went. So she called softly after it. Mouse dear, do come back again, and we won't talk about cats or dogs either, if you don't like them. When the mouse heard this, it turned round and swam slowly back to her. Its face was quite pale. With passion, Alice thought, and it said in a low, trembling voice, Let us get to the shore, and then I'll tell you my history, and you'll understand why it is I hate cats and dogs. It was high time to go, for the pool was getting quite crowded with the birds and animals that had fallen into it. There was a duck and a dodo, a lorry and an eaglet, and several other curious creatures. Alice led the way, and the whole party swam to the shore. End of Chapter 2, The Pool of Tears. Wow. It turns out Alice's tears are way more robust and environmentally friendly than we thought. For they not only housed a mouse, but they also housed a gaggle of a variety of birds. We see a duck, an eaglet, a lorry, or a parrot. And another creature that escapes my mind at this moment. But even more interesting is the fact that Alice assumes the very personhood of the 2020 Karen that was the antagonist of our generation. For we see ourselves in the mouse in a very relatable fashion. So imagine, if you will, you're walking down the street, just minding your own business, and somebody else is coming down the street the other way. And all of a sudden, it appears that this person, aka an Alice, wants to engage in a conversation with you. So, as many of us have done in the past, we kind of, you know, look at them, give a, a slight nod up, and then... You know, we do a, a brief little smile that kind of looks like a grimace, if I'm being honest. And then continue walking along our way, hoping that Alice will get the hint. Well, guess what, folks? It's an Alice. They don't catch the hint. And, in fact, Alice is a child. Much like our Karen of 2020. And she has assumed a very persistent creature. I mean, children, are they not? Very curious as well as persistent when they don't get the answer they want and are looking for. So to Alice's credit, she is very resourceful because when the mouse, who understands English as we soon find out, doesn't respond and pretends like, what? Uh, she actually decides to speak in the French language, which is very clever if you think about the time period. It's 1865 when Lewis Carroll wrote this book. And previously in the 19th century, we learned about Napoleon Bonaparte, a very famous war, war hero, or I, I don't know what you would actually describe him as. You know, perhaps, you know, France overreached their bounds in a lot of ways. And so 
there's a lot of French influence, let's just say, in this portion of Europe. So, that all being said, Alice becomes very resourceful and is like, huh, maybe he doesn't speak English. Yeah, don't you wish we could have used that excuse in 2020? Well, I'm sorry, we can't. But anyway, so she decides she's going to speak in French. And I had to consult my own sister on this pronunciation, for she is more well-versed in French than I am. Also because I wanted to take great care for our French-speaking listeners, as I didn't want to butcher your heart language. So, excuse me if I mispronounced it. I apologize. I really did take great effort in trying to speak it well. But... This French phrase translates in English, loosely, to where is my cat? Isn't it typical of an Alice to offend us in such blatant and an obvious way with such ignorance that we have to stop and actually give our Alice the attention? Because... They said something so outlandish that we must indeed respond. Well, this mouse responds in fear, as one should when they encounter an Alice. And Alice tries to comfort it. To her credit, our Alice is way more thoughtful than today's Karen. But she tries to soothe the mouse and say, hey, you know, I'm sorry, my bad. I'll tell you about my cat. It's actually really, you know, friendly and nice. Oh, by the way, it eats mice. Mm, There we go. Typical Alice, you know? What are you going to do with them? And she does the same Freudian slip with the dog that she references from her childhood. But the mouse gives her, as we should, we should offer a friendly ear to the Alices in our lives to help explain why and where we're coming from. You know, we need to engage in rational conversation with the Alice's of the world. And the mouse opts to do so once they have reached shore, which I think is kind of an entertaining way to describe it, since they are all swimming in Alice's own tears, and this thing is large enough to warrant there to be indeed a shore. Very interesting end and conclusion to the chapter. Now, I haven't decided, I don't believe I'll continue reading this, just because, I mean, golly, there's 12 chapters of this. And there's a lot to uncover, granted. It's a very entertaining novel. But I feel like we should, you know, continue moving on in our readings. But, I mean, if you really want me to continue reading this, please say something, you know, in your review, in your five-star review to me about my podcast, if you'd say, hey, I loved this, why don't you continue? Or you can email me at vocalreadingcadence at gmail.com and uh, just say continue with Alice. That's all you have to say. I want more Alice. And then I may consider your point. But as it stands, I think we'll be smartly moving along. But I've so much enjoyed our exploratory encounters with this strange Alice creature, who we have concluded is indeed human, and her human tears, 
for she cried emotional tears, uh, consisted of some very survivable fluids that ended up saving not only Alice and a mouse, but also a few birds. Well done, Alice. You've been a help to society, which is, quite frankly, comforting. So on that pleasant note, thank you so much for listening to Episode 7 of Reading Cadence. My name is Phil Olson, and until next time, as they say in show business, that's all he wrote.